Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Mueller, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. Hello, folks. We have a guest I'm really excited about today, a woman with whom both Lindsay and I have worked with extensively over the years. We've all kind of grown up together. We were employee-based teenagers in the consulting careers, now are moderately capable adults. Sinead probably being the more capable of the three of us. But today's guest is Sinead Strayer. Sinead handles originally from Ohio and has a BS in psychology from the University of Dayton and a Master of Organization Development from Bowling Green State. She has 20 plus years of work experience and specializes in organizational design, operational effectiveness, and change management. She has experience in management consulting and big tech industry working with and for companies such as Satachi, Boeing, and Microsoft. She resides in Chicago with her husband and three children and spent the last several years working for the Seattle-based consulting firm 71 and Change as a change and operations manager. Shanae is currently on a work sabbatical and enjoying more time with her family. Shanae is one of the craziest people I've met because at one point she was commuting from Bellingham, Washington, all the way to Redmond, Washington on nearly a daily basis. So that's how committed she is both to her family and her craft. So with that, I welcome you, Shanae. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Justin and Lindsay. I'm so happy to be here. I am very excited to ask you this question, Shanae. You've got a lot of stories from your career, but what is one of the best pieces of advice that you received throughout that 20 plus year career? Yeah, this was a good question. And I have to admit, preparing for our conversation today, I did some crowdsourcing and I've learned a lot about people's number one bits of advice that they've gotten. But even hearing everyone's input that they gave me, I still went back to this one example. And so if I could describe it in a story, that would be fantastic. I was working with this leader many, many years ago, and we were in the middle of a semi-crisis. You know, we were having an issue with the work that we were doing. And so this leader and I were in a room, huddled for a while, trying to come up with a solution to this issue. You could feel things were getting tense in the room as we were trying to work this out. Things were tense outside the room because everyone knew what was going on. And this leader just said, you know what, Shane, let's take a minute. And he sat back in his chair and he said, let's be honest about this. We come into this office, we bang on these keys for eight hours a day, but a year from now, people are going to remember the decisions that we made. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And as soon as he said that, the reframing, you could just feel the tension leave the room and we were able to get down to what was actually really happening, what the issue really was and what we needed to do to take care of it and to tackle it. And I'll say, that's part one. The second part of this, I really think it's twofold, is this is not earth-shattering what I'm about to say, but the second part of it is you never forget how someone makes you feel. So in my mind, in that moment, there were two things that were coming up with this issue that we were dealing with. It wasn't quite a crisis, but it was a pretty significant issue. So the two things were, what is this going to mean a year from now? And how do we get the people taken care of that have to deal with this once we've made some decisions? I love that. Can you tell us how you then applied the advice. The really interesting thing about this is I don't remember what crisis or issue we were dealing with in that room. That just makes the advice that much more true, right? Yes, absolutely. And I know at the time it was big and it was heavy, but I don't remember what it was. I remember this leader sitting back in his chair and saying, let's think about this in a way that makes sense and kind of get out of our heads. Yeah. How do you make people who are feeling that heaviness of a major work issue happening. How do you make them feel better about that? 
Yeah. So in season one, you know, you guys in your work life health episode, you talked about do I need to give A effort or could this be C effort? Yeah. So one of the things that I always like to talk about in these cases is is this an A issue? Is it a C issue? Is this really a crisis? You know, let's make sure that we frame this in a way that's giving whatever this issue is its due, but not overdoing it. Clarity through prioritization. That's exactly right. And then the next conversation is always, okay, so then what is this going to look like tomorrow? What's it going to look like next week? What's it going to look like in 30 days, 60 days, six months? To really understand the severity of whatever the issue is or the crisis is that's on the table to make sure that it's getting the appropriate attention. Yeah, putting a timeline to it. I think that's extremely helpful because one of the reactions you can have when there's a major issue is freeze or to spin out, feel like you're doing a lot and not making progress. So to go, what are the milestones and the timeline against that milestone focuses you to understand what your next step is. And then you slowly come out of that spin that you wrap yourself in. Yep, that's right. And that's what's happening in the room. And then outside the room is how to get your people ready. How do you calm their nerves and their fears? help alleviate the visceral reaction that they're having to whatever it is that's happening around you. So that if you need all hands on deck, you know, they're prepared to do that and they're ready to do that. You know, by calming yourself down as someone who's leading a group, it'll help calm everyone else as well. I think that's super important as the second part of you never forget how someone makes you feel. Yeah, I remember you saying one time was a training that I attended that you were facilitating when the three of us worked together for Hitachi. And you had asked, what's the first emotion that people feel when there's a big change? And it's fear. You acknowledge that and give them the information and the support they need to come out of that place of fear and start making progress. Because if your adrenaline is flowing, you're not making sound decisions, right? So how do you get those people out of that adrenaline state and into a place where they can start being more productive? Exactly. And Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess my question for you, Shanae, is how have you carried that advice forward throughout your career? How have you applied it? It's really about keeping things in perspective. Everything cannot be a crisis all the time. You know, you guys also talked in the first season about it's practically impossible to work at 110% all the time. Yeah, It's also impossible to be productive, to be a good leader, to be a good manager when you're in absolute highest crisis issue mode all the time. And so there has to be a balance, right? And things are always going to come up. So how do you give yourself the freedom to be able to still be productive in your day job, but be able to deal with these things that come up in a way that's productive and meaningful for the crisis itself or the issue itself and the people that you're leading, managing, or your teammates? Just giving yourself the space to be able to recognize that everything's not 110%. Maybe sometimes it's 70, even though at first when you get that initial fear and this real reaction, it feels like maybe it's 110. When you step back and look at it, maybe it's really 70. And, you know, giving yourself the space to be able to recognize that. Yeah, almost not being reactive. I remember Aaron McModigal telling me on a project that I think you were on, I think I was the third change management consultant on the project, big tech firm based in Redmond. We were in their Seattle offices early days in their online advertising effort. We had a very challenging customer, I think, that I ultimately adopted. I remember Erin telling me, she said, some days your C work is all you need to give. Yes. I remember being really confounded by that statement. She said, to clarify, she said, sometimes your C work is all the business problem demands that the customer may not even have the ability to appreciate anything higher than that. 
And so she said, you need to figure out when you need to deliver A work versus when you need to deliver C work. That was profound. That helped me to recalibrate. Maybe a little too much, but it helped me to <laughs> But it's life-changing, right? Especially when realize that these decisions that you're making today, like maybe they're not going to make a difference in a year or six months or three months. So, you know, just giving yourself permission to say, maybe this can be C work today. Maybe this is all they can handle today. Yeah. On the flip side, though, if no one's going to remember this decision in six months, how do you avoid becoming cynical a bit about your work actually mattering? I've seen that in the consulting community as well. People get cynical, feel like they're not really adding long-term value. How do you avoid that or balance that kind of sense of, well, if it doesn't matter, then what are we doing? I don't think it's so much that it doesn't matter. I think your decisions matter. Every decision you make matters. It's more about recognizing the impact and the severity of the decision. Yeah, that's good. Not every decision is going to be this life-changing, game-changing decision. It does have implications and you need to be thoughtful. It's not always going to be a game time implicating decision. That's right. And so while people may not remember the specifics of the decision, they'll remember if you did your due diligence, if you communicated with everybody about the decision, they'll remember how you delivered whatever the decision was, which is the second half of what I was saying was, you know, maybe they don't remember the details, but they'll remember how you made them feel about it, good or bad, right? Yeah. If you just had a few moments to riff here, what additional advice that you've received have you found to be really meaningful? I have personally found you to be someone who really understands your boundaries well. And I know that's a popular thing to talk about the last five, 10 years is boundaries, but yeah. you're very good at boundaries. You're very good about understanding what you want and what you don't want. You're good at articulating it in a way that it's both honoring for yourself and honoring for the other person you've spoken to. So I've definitely seen you apply that. What other goodness or how did you kind of arrive at that ability to kind of set those healthy boundaries and really determine what's important to you versus what could wait? Yeah, I really love my work and I love the work I do and I care a lot about my clients. So I want to give them the best work I possibly can. And so I learned pretty early on in my career driving back and forth from Bellingham to Redmond, right, that there were just limitations. I just had limitations. And so I wanted to be very clear with my clients and say, I will give you my best work, but it's going to have to be within these guardrails. Yeah. And from that, I've also learned that if I'm going to do my best work, I need to put those guardrails up. Yeah. I really want to deliver that for my clients. So it's made it really easy for me to have what can kind of be tough conversations, but it always ends where, but I will give you my best work. Yeah. Yeah. That's been super helpful. I love that framing because it's not about what you won't do. It's about what you want to do. That's exactly right. That's good. Well, I guess it's funny. I actually drove up to Bellingham last Friday to go skiing at Mount Baker with my son. I drove up to his house first, and then I drove through Glacier and up to the mountain. So it was a long day of driving for me. And I was coming back down through Seattle, and I was like, how the hell did she do this for like X number of years? I can't even imagine. So, I mean, it's a beautiful drive, but holy cow. I thought I was crazy driving from Tacoma. I love the work. And if that's what it takes, I was willing yeah. to make it happen. So That's great. Well, Sinead, this has been a fabulous discussion. And I know we've talked about having you back for a deeper dive in a later season, but as always, it's always a treat to get to talk to you and just a pleasure to hear your voice and to hear about your experiences. So thanks for taking some time with us today. Anytime. That's it for today's episode. To access more information about the upcoming books of the Finding Grow Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World or find additional resources, 
head out to our website at refiningrow.com. And tune in next week for an all-new episode. Thanks for listening.